Hi, you're listening to Track Changes, the podcast of Postlight, a digital product studio at 101 Fifth Avenue in New York City. My name is Paul Ford. I'm the co-host and of uh, Track Changes and the co-founder of Postlight. What is Postlight, Paul? Oh, yes. Damn, he came right in. I know. Postlight is a digital product studio. That means that if you're holding something in your hand, like an app, or you're looking at a big platform or doing something in your bank, those are the sorts of things we like to build here at 101 Fifth Avenue. Yeah, I just want to highlight, we don't play games. We've been competing against other shops that build these bullshit WordPress sites. We're at a next level type of thing. Rich saw some PR that made him angry. Oh, there's such nonsense out there. There's a, I'm not going to start naming names. All right, we're already off the rails. This is an awkward um, interview because the person on the other side of the table is a serious podcasting impresario named mm. Matt or Matthew Lieber. I don't know what you like for professional purposes. Matt's fine. Matt, all right. Yeah. Well, we didn't finish saying who we are. We build stuff. We build platforms and apps, like full-blown serious apps, design, build, deploy. We kill it. Big and beautiful. Big and beautiful. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So um, we should give a little background as to how we all know each other, uh, which is that I think I came in at one point to help out at Gimlet because somebody was <laughs> in a pickle, uh, namely Reply All. And um, I met you, and you are the co-founder right, of, uh, of Gimlet. Why don't you tell us what Gimlet is? Gimlet's a podcast company behind shows like Reply All, Startup, Crime Town, Homecoming, and a number of others. And it's a, it's a hot player in the growing podcast space. Has anyone ever called you the Netflix of podcasts? Very early on when we first started the company, someone was like, well, what you should really become is the Netflix of podcasts. Okay. Because Netflix is worth, you know... Seven bajillion dollars. Yeah, that's okay. a, it's, you want that, and you want to be that as opposed to the yeah the MTV of podcasts, which is not worth seven bajillion dollars, or the Sundance Channel of podcasts. Yeah, exactly. It's also not what you aim for, Paul. Yeah. That's, so, you have a co-founder. What is your co-founder's yeah. name? Uh, I started the company with Alex Bloomberg, right. and so he was making a podcast, right? Yes. He made a show called Startup, which is which was the story of Gimlet. The thing that we did was when we started the company, Alex had the brilliant idea that uh, when you start a company, it's actually a very dramatic story. Mm -hmm. And there, it's very high stakes because for both of us, we were quitting our jobs. We had families. We had rent to pay. And we were taking the leap into the unknown and tried to convince you know our friends and family that we should, you know, we had this vision for a kind of company that hadn't existed before. And, we, and when you try to convince everyone about your company and how great it's going to be, they think you're insane right? because it's not real. Well, they're very indulgent. They're like, oh, it's so great that you have a vision. But, and then, but when it gets down to brass tacks, it's, it's not as pleasant. Right. Well, it's hard. Yeah, it's right. always hard. So we got to hear in the early days of Gimlet, we got to hear on Startup, things like you negotiating for the stake that you would have in the company <laughs> with Alex. Whoa. Yes. Oh, it's, it's, it's a grisly piece of audio because I think he offers you like a, a, like a pittance. It's not great. Yeah. Like I think it was – I think he offered me like 10% or something. But then he said that someone he had talked to who was a very legitimate startup person, a founder, said that he should offer me 3%, which is why the 10 was actually very generous. 
Yeah, and you weren't and buying it. No, I was not buying. It. I was not going to give up my job for ten percent of something that didn't exist. <laughs> um, but we did. We record. We had, early in the company, we recorded everything. We recorded our pitches to investors. We recorded our equity negotiation. Then we went home to our wives and we recorded those conversations and put that all into this show. And it turned out that, you know, as we went on, and start and it became this kind of juggernaut. So within, you know, a month of launching the company, we had, you know tens or hundreds of thousands of people following us in real time as we were, you know, doing things like trying to hire our first employees, trying to name the company, um, launching our first show. And it turned out that the moments in the show that were most, uh, most brutal, most emotionally honest, and actually mortifying were the, the things that made people most want to follow us. Sure, of course. I mean, mean, believe in us. Makes sense. And it was also, I think it was a real education, and especially you guys were coming from media. You a little bit less. What was your background before? I I spent about a decade at National Public Radio, MTV Radio. I was a radio person. Like, Mm -hmm. I I ran my college radio station. I can hear hear it in your voice. I grew up listening to, you know, all kinds of anything I could, honestly. But then you went and were like, I got to make some money. I realized at some point that, yeah, radio wasn't going to deliver me to the promised land. Mm -hmm. And so I swerved off into business. I did an MBA, not a very cool degree these days, but I did that. And then I spent a few years as a management consultant. See, I love MBAs. I think MBAs are very cool degrees. Paul's a fan. Because you can say like, hey, can we model this out? And then the MBA person can go like. You don't even know what that means. It doesn't matter. They're going to come back with it. The whole point is, of course, I don't know what that means. Right. They're going to do it. That's what they do. And you're like, what's XR57? And they're like, oh, well, that's obvious. And you're like, oh, well, we got to do it. Yeah. Oh, you're such the creative type. It's how business works. Very can-do kind of people. (laughs) Exactly. It's how business works. It's great. Where did you go to school? MIT. For MBA. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Which is Sloan, right? MIT Sloan. Yeah. Nice program. Yeah. It's great. All right. So So you you come out. So I came out. I spent a few years at Boston Consulting Group. Which is like a, you know a giant global consultancy. Yep. Oh yeah, they're fun, fun guys. Yes, I only spent two years there, which is the perfect amount of time to spend in like a high pressure, high octane, you know, strategy consulting firm where you just you know, you, you work a lot. All right, so you got out of there, and then what were you doing? I did. I didn't. I mean, I was like, um, I was coming up on a couple of years there. I learned a ton because mm-hmm. those are really high learning, learning environments, and. Then I started telling, I sort of was listening to a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. This was three, 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 three and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. I was listening on my commute. I was listening and I was realizing that there was a new medium that was like being born in front of my ears. And so people would be asking me like, well, you're coming up on your two years. That's usually where you like decide to double down and give your life to the firm or you decide to go leave and do something else. Mm-hmm. And it's the kind of environment where it's totally okay to talk about how you're going to leave and what you're going to do next because the model at those places is like most people leave. Yeah, that, and, and they're it's happy. A very open and nice like, alumni network, right? It's you, when you leave, you're an alumni. Yeah, this will kind of churn through you, right? Yes, I mean, both. Yeah, and they churn. Yes, so people would say, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I would say, "What, what I said I really wanted to do is go back to audio because that was my first love, and now I had all these business tools that I could somehow bring back to that world." And they'd say, "Oh, do you want to run a radio station?" And I'd be like, <laughs> not really that exciting. And so I said, what would be really cool is to start like a, to start a new kind of company for this new kind of medium. 
And I was like, I think there's really a business you could build here. And I told enough people that that someone was finally like, oh, you should meet this other guy because he's saying the same thing. And that was Alex, who then became my oh, So you didn't partner. know Alex before all this? I did not know. I knew of so him. this is an introduction. Yeah, it was an introduction. I knew of him because I had listened to This American Life and Planet Money. Alex is like, you know, he's a master storyteller. He's like, I call him the Steven Spielberg of podcasts because mm-hmm. he really is one of the best people in the world at at what he does. He has a reputation too. Like if you talk to people from the world of public radio, they're like, oh yeah, that guy, he's one of those. Like yeah. There's a few just master lizard storytellers. Yes. And, and so, yeah, in the podcast, you can sort of hear it from his point of view. Like he discovers you and he's like, who's this money guy? And it goes from there. So right. that's a power, power couple. Power couple is not really what I'm implying here, but power. I mean, you got the business side. He's got the content side. Is that, was that the thinking? Well, they both have a little of each, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, but I don't really play a content role. I'm like not I'm not that's not what I'm really good at. But yes, it was a it's a really good partnership. And it's unconventional that you, I always whenever someone asks me for advice about like, well, should I start a company? For, the first thing I say is don't do it alone because it's just too hard. Mm-hmm. And it's too much of an emotional wreckage scene. You kind of need someone else to like trudge through the wreckage with you. And that I think typically it's generally a better idea to start a company with someone you already know that you've been through some experiences with so that you, and you've seen how they perform under pressure. Mm-hmm. And, but we did not know each other and we did it anyway. And it's turned out pretty good. We got along pretty well. Early yeah. Days, we got, right? we get along pretty yeah. well. Yeah. I mean, we did that. We knew each other for a long time. Yeah. How'd you guys know each other? Com- introduction. Yeah, I, I was an advisor to one of Rich's companies. Mm. And uh, I think I told you, like, within about 10 minutes of meeting him, I was like, you're completely crazy. It's a bad idea. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, that was, you perked up. You're like, oh, all right. Thank you. This guy is going to yeah. at least speak his mind. And then yeah. four years later, we started Postlight, or thereabouts. Thereabouts. Sometimes. All right, so how tell the people about Gimlet today. Gimlet's a big deal. Well, how many are you now? We now have... About 90 people Woo. in Brooklyn, which is our headquarters. Where are you? In, when we first visited Gimlet, it was That's in true. A, we, an abandoned warehouse yes. with rats. Yeah. So wait, let's, let's actually give some background there. Because like when we were just getting going, we just sort of called everybody we vaguely knew. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, I have had some good conversations over there. Gimlet, Gimlet. needs a platform. They're going to need a platform. <laughs> let's go talk to them. And you graciously <laughs> took a meeting. In your, took us to the roof. In, a, <laughs> in an environment where there's literally just, like, water pouring down the stairs. Like, you were, you were it making it It was unreal. That's yeah. right. So the, we, are, we were in an old warehouse. It was an old bank building. And it had evolved from, like, it was a squat, and then it was, like, an artist commune, and then, and then we moved in there. But that's right. There was a hole in the roof, and so when it rained, water would come flowing down the walls. There was also another thing, which is that there was someone with um, – Rock tumbling equipment in the yep. office, which is bad in a podcast studio. Yeah. It's literally rocks rolling around in like a metal tub. Yeah. And they would turn that on from time yeah. to time. Well, there was one person who had a desk because it was kind of a co-working space. So there's a person who had a desk there but never worked there. And when this person wasn't there, they would tumble rocks because <laughs> they weren't there. So it wasn't annoying to them. You know, I, I grew up in a mineralogical household, so people might not know. But that's how you smooth rocks out. Yeah. If you want to 
get a nice surface on your minerals. You put some grit in there. It's not a bad metaphor for for like starting a company, actually. No, no you just roll it over and over until everything <laughs> is smooth. Yeah. And you forget that it was rough and terrible. And well, you hurt. get to tell that story now. Now that you're yeah. sort of turning a corner, you get to talk about how you start. Like nobody wants to start a company in like shiny glistening offices it's supposed no. to be kind of shitty that's what we love that's what i always loved about it was the fact that it was yeah. so it was so helter skelter it was like going into a yard sale in maine and looking for the one gem of an object but that's the kind of place where creative things can happen whereas i always find when i go into we work I find it to be not a kind of place where creative things can get invented because it's so regimented and echoey and yeah. you have only a little space and there's no room for surprise. They're cookie cutter, right? They're just more and more we work, we work. Like we yeah. work to me dominates the space, not the startups. <laughs> It's sure. Well, and they're not about – it's not a space around risk, right? It's around like I'm going to get a professional enough office that I can be a – Take prof- a meeting. I can be a professional professional. Yeah. Okay. So it was chaos. Now it's 90. You went and got funding. Yep. You've got money. You've got – how many podcasts? We have about 12 podcasts now. All right. And some of them are pretty pretty big. Yeah. Some of them are big, have millions of people listening to them. Goodness. What's your favorite? <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> I don't have a favorite. I mean, I do love them all. I got, I actually got, I got reprimanded recently because I posted an integra- Instagram photo of one of the teams. Oh, really? And then someone on my team was like, hey, you can't do that because then everyone's going to think that they're your favorite and they're going to feel uh, left out. Left out. And I was like, no, you're, you're, and oh yeah, sorry. The other thing is I posted it. And it was 10 p.m. And I said, hardest working team in podcast. Oh, that's strong. Oh. Ter- terrible. It was Guy ter- goes it was to MIT, gets his MBA, and he pulls that off. Such a dumbass. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, that was bad. And then and then a month later, I was talking to one of the other yeah. teams, a show that I love. And they were like, yeah, that made us feel really badly. Right. Right. No, no, no. This yeah. happens. I, um, I, I have to be careful. I'm learning the irony doesn't scale at all throughout the organization. We're not as big as you are, but we have enough people and enough sort of layers here that that when i say something i don't know like you know if i joke about sales or or something like that people can take it very seriously they can be like oh paul doesn't like his job correct and you got to be really careful with that and it's a completely sensible thing people are watching going like how are things going here yeah and they'll read deeply into any signal and it's just you're just running around like taking pictures with your camera right well you reluctantly own the whole context yep yeah it's that's it, beca- it. And it becomes harder to be yourself. Oh, and to be, without a doubt. And without to be able to relate to people and yeah. to use a, a weird word are in you, an authentic way the larger you get. Yep. So yeah. how, how, how are you learning to deal with that? Uh, well, Alex and I go to a coach. Okay. Yeah. What does the coach tell you? Uh, it, it's less about – it's less telling you and more asking you questions. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like – yeah, expertise mixed with therapy. Would you recommend that? Yes. Really? Yeah. We we talked to a potential coach, and then we sent him home. We're, we yeah. were a little price sensitive. No, yeah. I don't think that was why. That's part of it. They can be expensive. But if you can, make, if you can afford it and you can make the time and you find someone who's a fit, then all you have to believe really is that they'll help you make one or two really like do a better job in one or two big decisions or big moments to believe that they can 
that it's worth it. When you talk to the coach, is it about your dynamic with your co-founder or about your dynamic with the company? Both. Okay. Yeah. It's... Maybe we should do it. Let's call him back. Uh, well, we'll poke around. We'll think about this for a minute. But yeah, I mean. I mean, what the hell do we know, dude? I don't know. It's pretty bad. All right. So getting to 90 from what were you, like three? Two. At we the were first. two. Well, so you're starting, yeah. But two to 90 in four years in an inc- is that, three years. That's three years. Yeah. In an incredibly talent-constrained mm. environment. I think people, this is something I noticed. I, I, somebody once uh, from one of the larger podcast organizations called me up for a reference an editor i'd worked with and i've been in and out of this world for a while and i was like yeah you want to get a guy out of print and put him into podcasting he's going to have a hard time like a lot of these guys started you know at and men and women started at like npr 20 years ago and they're part of a very specific culture and if you drop them into planet podcast they're going to be very like you know they're going to be confused and they're like yeah we can't we actually there's nobody to hire from podcasting anymore we've had to resort to print (laughs) <laughs> and I'm not quite in those words, but maybe that's how I heard it as like a print person. But it fascinated me because there's this myth of like incredible talent glut where you can just go out and get all the editors and writers and producers and people you'd ever need to get anything done. Uh, we hear it a lot because like a, a corporation will be like, we need content. We can go get editors. They're free, you know, because they've heard that media is in trouble. But the, the talent's not there. So it's so what do you do at this point? You've, you've poached. You know, or you've a lot of people come from WNYC or uh, This American Life. Like, how do you build and, and develop new talent now? That's something that is that is a big priority for us. That's one of the reasons we raised money was mm-hmm. to be able to invest in training and development and build an actual like academy, for lack of a better term. Are you going to build podcasting college? Well, podcasting college doesn't exist, right? Like, if if you want to if you want to make a you know television commercial or a film. Or even if you want to have someone, like, write for you, there are colleges and universities. Like, there are film schools. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole ecosystem of agencies that have existed that do, you know, video and TV and all this other thing. There, there has never been that for, um, like, narrative audio. Right, because you just went to one of the, your closest possible NPR affiliate, right? And just got to work. Right. Yeah. And then you learned through apprenticeship. So and, live and also on. culturally, you just never left. Like if you look at somebody from that world, they might have been there 22 years. It's very normal to never leave an NPR, yeah. that planet. Okay. Yeah. And um, a lot, so I would say to date, we, yeah, we've, we've hired from exist, the existing organizations that you mentioned. And we teach people through apprenticeship. And we, have, we do have a curriculum of sorts of here's the things you need to learn. We do something called radio class where we bring out – we bring in people from outside the organization who are, you know – really good at what they do. Actually, you came in and did a radio class. It was early days. I don't don't know if it was even called radio class. It was just like people show up was the (laughs) name of it. Right. Yes. But like, you know, Ira Glass came and did a radio class. I mean, John Hodgman came and did a radio class. I was better than both of them, but but okay. Yeah. Let's say I go to radio class and I I start to get a little better and I I start to learn my stuff. Um, What's my next step? Am I on a podcast? Can I pitch you a podcast? What do I do? Uh, Well, you'll be producing on a show. So we'll, we'll... what we'll try to do is match you with a producer who's more experienced, who you can learn from in an environment where you're, you know, producing a show every, you know, week. Okay, so I'm coming in every day. What's a producer do? That's a great question. I think a, a producer is a, can mean a lot of different things mm-hmm. in different environments. It's a mix of journalism and reporting, um, editing, stage management, because ultimately you're putting on a show, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
pulling people in, booking them, writing scripts, thinking about what a story should sound and feel like. It's 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 all those things. Uh, it sounds like, you know, I mean, this, this makes me think of as you're describing it. I, I've seen television shows and they list off literally 11 executive producers and producers. <laughs> it cracks me up. Well, and executive I, producer can, in tel- I think in television can mean anything. And I know this because I'm now an executive producer on a television show that I have really nothing to do with. Whoa, what show is this? Well, so one of the things that surprised that that is, has happened at Gimlet that we did not expect was that because we're developing characters and worlds and stories that work in audio, they can also work in other media. So we now have a couple of TV shows that are going forward based on our podcasts. And, and in fact, there's one based on Startup. So Startup is going to become a, an ABC comedy starring Zach Braff. It's called Alex Inc. Okay, wait, I heard of this. So Zach is playing well, Alex? Yes. Who's playing you? Uh, my character is played by... Wait, let us guess. Alexander Sarsgaard. <laughs> no. I don't have a guess. Come on. I don't, I, I don't know. Val Go. Kilmer. Who is playing you? Michael Imperioli. Oh, that's, that's oh. great. Oh, Christopher that's from The Sopranos. Yeah, yeah. But it's not that's actually actor. me. So the, I got recast as a sleazy, smarmy, oh, really? former door-to-door salesman. You weren't dramatic enough? No, I was too boring. <laughs> okay, so this is loosely based on type of yeah. entertainment. Yes. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you sounds like you sort of leased out the content rather than true exact conversion over to television. Yeah, so that that one we did, you know, we licensed the intellectual property of that show to mm-hmm. become TV. And at that time, our attitude was we have so much on our hands trying to make this to make right. Gimlet work. We don't want to get distracted by this crazy TV stuff because it's never going to happen anyway, and it'll just be like a huge, it'll just be like catnip for our attention. So right. yeah, sure, we'll license it, go to town. We don't want any involvement. So that was in the in the first you know six months, and now we've realized that there is a bigger opportunity there. So now we're more involved. So Homecoming, which is a thriller mm-hmm. that we it was our first scripted series. Um, starring Catherine Keener and Oscar Isaac is now going to television, but it's, we're going to Amazon starring Julia Roberts, and that one we're more involved in. Uh, the yeah. gravitational pull yeah. is going to ha- they're 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 out of podcasts in five years. I don't know, but the thing with podcasts is that it's not anywhere near as expensive as television to pull off, so you can play around and learn new things. Correct. Text is the cheapest, obviously. You can but come there's up with the, but there's money, and then you get to be at those round tables at the Golden Globes. <laughs> Do you enjoy it more? Do you enjoy the TV side more than the podcast side? Well, I'm not really that involved in it. Which child do you honest. love the oh, best? Okay, so yeah. you, you've got a team that's yeah. focusing a little bit on yeah. It. So Eli Horowitz, who created Homecoming, who's a, a okay, you know, a fiction writer and just a brilliant storyteller created Homecoming at Gimlet, and he and he went with Homecoming to television. He's show-running it alongside Sam Ismail. So there was a pilot and the pitch and everything? Is that how this went down? Uh, yes, it was pitched. No, we did, they didn't make a pilot, but it was pitched based on the uh, based on a script. Interesting. So the podcast almost serves as a pilot, too, then. The, po- the podcast becomes like a lower-cost piloting process where you can try out ideas and stories and you can be really inventive and experimental because it, it, you're not spending $100 million on sure. ten episodes. And then once you've proven the world and the story, then you can you know, bring it to you know, higher cost. It's very cool. Okay, wait. What do, you, what do you do all day? 
What do I do? All Depends day? on the day. Well, it's the thing. It's it's a ninety person team that's different. Like you were running around a lot the times I saw you a few years ago. Right. Well, let's preface it. What's your title? I'm the president. The president. Which is very ambiguous. What is Which that? Is, is Alex CEO? Like, what'd Alex you do? is CEO. So and Alex runs. All of the like creative and editorial, right. and I run the business, which means sales, ops, finance, HR. There's a certain um, we like. There's a certain scale you get to where you're advised to really make that distinction. We're not there yet, but people have said like, you know, two co-founders. You kind of get one's a president, one's a CEO. Yeah. Or I mean, the division of labor is there anyway. Right. It's just a matter of whether you formalize it. Like we focus on different things, and I think that's generally going to happen otherwise you're going to kill each other mm-hmm. yeah all right so you are president okay mm-hmm. come in in the morning yep. check your emails put your pants on just like any president of a podcasting studio i spent a bunch of my time for the first half of this year how do i spend my time it's such a good it's one of the it's, it's got to be question. all over the map yeah it it, it but I mean, like right now i'm spending a lot of time recruiting i spent a mm-hmm. bunch of time earlier this year raising money Mm-hmm. Now we have the money, so we're going to spend it. Right. So I spend so I spend a bunch of my time recruiting, and then spend some of my time in. So if I had to break it down by by percentage, I would spend. I'd say right now I probably spend a third to half of my time recruiting, a quarter of my time on sales, and you know dealing with advertisers. And another quarter of my time sort of doing general management. This morning, I sent out six emails to other media companies trying to entice them to form a Brooklyn softball league for the year 2018. Mm-hmm. Because we started, a, we started a softball team and we, had a, I was, we played Brooklyn Brewery last Friday and mm-hmm. it was incredibly fun. Mm-hmm. And then I realized we really need to do more of this next year. It's great. Yeah. And that's recruiting too. It's recruiting. And yeah. happiness. Harper's Culture Magazine. and happiness. Oh Harper's Magazine had a softball team, and we just used to just get the crap kicked out of us. Sounds trivial. This stuff's important. Well, it's that's a- what I actually left. At that So we had this game, and we had like, you know, 25 people from Gimlet turnout, and we had good, solid victory over a team that we weren't sure we were going to beat. I mean, Brooklyn and Brewery, I would imagine, would be pretty serious. They This was their first game, to their credit. So, <laughs> um, But... Yeah, but it, but it really like tied people together, and it made them feel like they were on the same team, and it was fun and good camaraderie, and that stuff really matters. All right, so out of the 90 people, how many are making podcasts, going into studios, producing, doing that stuff? Uh, I think it's about 55 to 60 okay. are editorial, so either producers, hosts, editors, engineers. And then what? Uh, what are the other ones doing? Uh, they are doing operations, sales, finance, human resources. And the way things make money are ads in the podcasts for Squarespace, let's say Mailchimp, products like that. Uh, and then there's there's some that you do with companies, right? Or is that did I get that yes. right? Okay. So we also have an agency inside uh, Gimlet called Gimlet Creative. Okay. It's a uh, creative services unit which means we we make they make all the ads that appear on our shows because all of our ads are native mm-hmm. um, made by us and then they also make original podcasts for brands so we make a show for Gatorade featuring the world's best athletes talking about their failures we make sponsored a sh- content yes or branded content oh they changed the name yes i don't okay. know is there a difference paul you know you go down that path <laughs> um no it it, it just depends people 
I've noticed in the world that there are people who do things and people who name things. <laughs> and you can be successful either way. Naming is the shortest path, right? So somebody was like, no, no, it's not native anymore. It's not sponsored. It's branded. It's a big yeah. deal. I, yeah. I think sponsored and branded content, I feel like it took a bit for the comfort level to rise for a lot of these brands because you don't want to look like you're compromising your brand. Yeah. That's right. And the font used to be really, really small. Yeah, everybody got really <laughs> confused. <laughs> the sponsored content yeah. font used to be tiny and kind of gray. They were ashamed. And it's gotten a little bigger. Yeah. They were ashamed. The comfort level is, I think, coming around. It's, you know, with our partners <laughs> at X, yeah. we were happy to present this and that. You know, yeah. I mean, TV has locked that down years and years ago, right? Like Texaco brings you. and, and all Yeah, that. that used to be the case, right? Right. All right, so so that's the organization. Yep. And then how do I, what do I do if I want to get a podcast on the digital air? What do, do I come to you? Do I say, hey, do I send you an email and go, hey, man, I got this great idea? You mean if you, you want to pitch a podcast yeah, for Gimlet or you I want to pay Gimlet to make a podcast I'm for I'm assuming personally. if I wanted to pay po- Gimlet, I'd be like, hey, I have some money. I'd like yeah. to pay you, man. Get over here now. <laughs> yeah. Can we have a call? Yeah. Um, and you would send someone nice to help me yes. talk yeah. about that, right? Exactly. Okay, so, but what if I want to get my big idea into the world? What do I do? Uh, you can pitch us. Okay. So we have a whole new show development team and a, new sh- and a development process that we go through. And typically it is pilot-based. So we will start with, you know, a, a person with an idea. And we, if we decide to green light a pilot, we'll green light a couple episodes. We used to just green light one episode. Mm-hmm. And then we realized that you can actually make one episode of anything be really great. But that mm. doesn't say anything about its its yeah. ability to be great it's at episode special. 10 or episode 100. Yeah. And so we'll we'll pilot a couple episodes. And we have a team of producers and editors and engineers, in-house and sound designers who will, you know, go through that process. So how many would you say like how many are like currently being developed now? Uh we've just put a number of them in the world. So the pipeline is right now in refill mode. So we actually we have we have probably three uh we probably have Four to five shows in various stages of See, development. See, they're not just right now. you're not just throwing stuff against the wall. But not all of those will come to life. Sure, sure. Um, no, we don't throw stuff against the wall. So we we are one of the smallest podcast networks in terms of the number of shows we have, and then we are one of the largest in terms of the audience. And that was always right. the idea, right? The, the idea was, can we make the HBO of podcasts the a brand that signals quality. And that means doing a few things really well as opposed to like trying to roll up the long tail or the middle tail and sell ads against it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, no, and there aren't too many like a couple people talking in a room, which is what this podcast is. Yes. But that's not what you do. We don't do podcasts like this. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, we made a very, you know, I, I come out of an edit background and I thought hard about that when we uh, started this. I'm like, how, you know, how deep should this corporate podcast go? And, <laughs> And then I realized like we would lose our minds and become a podcast production company that happened to have a product studio attached to it unless we did this format. Like this is just we yeah. can come talk to you, send it to our lovely editor, Tom, and be on our way. Yes. And I'm a huge fan of this podcast, by the way, as you guys know. I listened, I've listened to every single episode of this no show. No way. Yes. There been, blows our minds. There have been some yeah. ups and downs, Matt. I feel like I know both of you guys and your relationship. <laughs> um, I, Do you have any sponsored – Content that you think doesn't fit Gimlet? Yeah, that's right. Send <laughs> it on over. To, uh, <laughs> we'll yell at somebody. Yeah, talk about there. Well, should, thank you. Nope. That's very yeah. nice to hear. Okay, that's nice. But what should we be doing better? Oh God. Uh, 
No, I, I'm happy with the podcast. I okay. like. I think people listen to podcasts for a lot of different reasons. Yes. And yes. one reason that you listen to a podcast is to learn something. So from this, I always learn new things about like products and technology and design. Oh, cool. And then the other is companionship. And so I like to hang out with you guys, and that's why I listen. No, I think that's real. I mean, in some level, our world is a little bit of a mirror image of yours. I mean, it's sort of like two guys of a certain age with family starting a company. Yes. And no, I mean, I think we do. We consciously try to make it educational and informative about product. It's yeah. also how we talk when we're drinking beer. It's really right. not that. I had a friend give me a piece of advice. It's like, stop interrupting each other, which made me feel obnoxious and rude. But I realized if we're too conscious about how I like interrupting. Paul just goes on and on. And I like interrupting him <laughs> because we have to get on with the conversation. So I didn't want to change it. Like I just consciously it didn't feel We right. changed the pace a little bit based on some of the feedback. It's like it's slightly. We try not to just stumble all for a while we were just yelling at each other nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we we've paced it a little bit. So there's but yeah. I mean, I, in, in general, we just don't have time to make it like a, what I would call like a true media thing. Like it's just it's just us talking in the room doing the to, best we can. I don't think you need to apologize for it. I think we have a lot of fans. No, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's just like it just keeps it, it a certain. As soon as you start to make it something more, we're screwed. There's a large chasm that you have to cross <laughs> and, great, to get to the point. to no, get I'm to very, the next hill of quality. I'm very so, aware of that. Like today, we can kind of like there's about a, a day of human effort that goes into each podcast max. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in terms of planning yeah. and research and, and editing and, right. you know, transcripts and so on. It just adds up to like one day of everybody's time, all, you know, split up among a bunch of different people. And the next step feels like five days. Like, it's just sort of there's one, there's no easy yes. path. So to, that's where Gimlet lives. We live in the chasm. No, I've seen it. I mean, it's, and, it's, and you hire obsessives. That was your MO, though, from the get go. Yeah. It sounds like. Well, that's how you scale, right? You just have this huge audience. That's now, the idea. I want to ask about the general state of podcasts. Now, I'm not, a, no, I'm not a podcast scholar, but it felt like at one point that it was a fad that would be in slow decline and more or less go away. I, I feel like if you charted it, it's kind of this weird rise and then plateau. When is this? Because 2003, you've got podcasts starting. So when are, you, when are you talking? I'm talking about like podcast. In, what's it called? The uh, Twitter before Twitter startup. Odeo. Odeo made a bet that podcasts would take over the world. and Well, no, it, it didn't. It did Twitter instead. Well, to app, that, I think the driver there was Apple just did podcasts. Like some, like two engineers on a weekend decided right. to add podcasts the to I, iTunes. The iPod seems to have been the enabling technology. Yes. Okay. In fact, I heard sometimes people get upset when you said when you say two engineers at Apple because there were people doing RSS based audio distribution oh, before oh, the oh, iPad, did, and they really are RSS not happy. RSS upsets a lot of people. But actually, I heard this. St- I heard a story. I was at Apple one time, and one of the now he's one of the top engineers who runs the like App Store, mm-hmm. and he he said I was there when we made the decision to put include podcasts in the iPod. And he's like, and do you want to know what motivated it? And I'm like, duh, do. yes, <laughs> I would. Yeah. And he was like, Steve Jobs was a huge fan. And he was like, I'm listening to these radio type broadcasts and I'm getting, I've set up an RSS reader and I'm getting MP3s. He's like, we got to include this in the, 
and the iPod. And he like he was the one who was no kidding. Yeah. That's fascinating. Now, fast forward is this is Apple the your primary point of distribution? Apple is our largest distributor. Yeah. Okay. It's the, the the majority of our listeners today listen through Apple one an Apple platform one or another. Most of them are in Apple podcasts on their smartphones. Okay. And then you see that sort of is that continuing or things changing? I don't know. Yeah, it's changing. So, you know, it's interesting Rich there was like a there was an attention spike in like whatever it was 2006 2008 and then yeah. the attention kind of plateaued until three years ago when a bunch of things happened. Like we launched Gimlet and Serial came along and yeah. then, you know, Malcolm Gladwell started a podcast and it, it kind of reinvigorated the form and there's been this creative re- renaissance over the yeah. last three years. But podcasting never really went away. So there was never a, a dip in listening. There was mm. never a dip in the number of people who are listening. It just wasn't cool and then it became cool again. So it wasn't, in, it wasn't being covered. It wasn't being written about. Right. And so now it's in this, you know, it's the second golden age of audio. And I would say as an industry, it's, it's still in toddler phase, right? So now we've got, you know, we have a quarter of Americans listen to podcasts every month. Uh, that's is that true? 70 million Americans listen to podcasts. That's incredible. And w- what you find is when they start listening, they listen to a lot of podcasts. So on yeah. average, they'll listen to you know, five or six. Yeah, what, are the, what are the beasts? Like you guys are a certain kind of quality. You're getting a lot of listeners. But like what are, what are the huge ones out there aside from Gimlet? Uh, you have a couple different flavors. NPR is the is the eight hundred pound gorilla, okay. which is pretty awesome, it's right? That kind NPR, of hilarious. it's yeah. kind of great that like the nice and NPR is the monster in the space. It's just such an educated, well read gorilla. Yeah, <laughs> it's a nice <laughs> gorilla. It'll still stomp <laughs> the hell out of you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, and then what we saw was that the shows that were performing really well were uh, okay, were and continue to be shows that tell you a story. So narrative. Hmm. So you know serial. S-Town, This American Life, the radio labs of the world. And then you've had in the last year, like, new formats. So Crooked Media has come in with this sort of, like, like lefty political talk. Pod Save America, Pod Save the World has become wildly popular um, and is a whole different community. And so the, it's still it's still it's a corner of media that feels like people are still really trying things out and invest inventing new formats, mm-hmm. and which I think makes it pretty fun. No, that's exciting. That's not happening in a lot of other corners of media. Yeah. All right. So you said you're recruiting. Yeah. All right. So what uh, for listeners, some of whom are in technology, many of whom are in media, mm-hmm. uh, what do you need out there in the world? We're hiring a VP of marketing okay. right now to head our marketing efforts because we got to where we are today uh, with no no one has marketing in their title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> didn't have a marketer. We never had a marketing budget. But we realized that what we've done to get us this far is not going to get us to the next level. Mm-hmm. So we're hiring someone to build really build a marketing practice. We're hiring a director of legal affairs to be our first uh, attorney so that we don't make mistakes that put the business in jeopardy and someone to make deals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're always hiring editors. Like you said, ed- there's this real need for editors, people who can structure stories and shape narratives. And that is like really the thing that makes our shows different. Well, and the key and fast, right? Like that's the tricky thing. They have to be able to do it quickly and in a repeatable way. Yeah. Okay. So that that's all right. Those are good hires. Yeah. Legal affairs. That's mm-hmm. good. That's a grown up media organization. Yeah. Yeah. Liability insurance. Do you have to pay liability insurance? 
We have, yeah, we have liability insurance. People, like, you I don't drove know. my car. Well, liability is just like slip and fall. Well, I mean, you guys, if you don't have liability insurance, you should get it because you definitely have signed contracts saying that you have it. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We I'm thinking it. about, I, but there's me. I was thinking like I was listening to this podcast and I smashed into a dog. No, uh, no, there's the like audience. media liability insurance <laughs> too. <know>. Okay. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I can errors, tell. Uh, errors yeah. and omissions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Direct, Those are directors favorite. and officers. DNOs, One of our favorite DNOs. expenses is errors and omissions. <laughs> 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 okay. So where are you going now? Where are we going? Right, like after this podcast, where are you headed what kind back? Of question is that? Are you headed uh, back to the office? Well, I work in Brooklyn, so you guys are here at one hundred one Fifth Avenue. Thank you. It's a beautiful, beautiful storied building. building. Yeah, as I know from listening to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and floor. I am going to. So I, I live and work in Brooklyn. So I live in, I live like six blocks away from the office. So I basically never come to Manhattan. And when I do come to Manhattan, I like to, you know, stack up all my Manhattan things. Mm-hmm. Like I need to go, I need to get a raincoat. So I'm going to probably go to Paragon on my way home, which is the great like raincoat <laughs> store. Right, right. Um, That's true. I wouldn't even know where to go for Where are you in Brooklyn? Yeah. Uh, we're in Gowanus. Oh. Next to the canal. Very cool. Yeah, super fun site. All right. Well, um, Matt, do you want to you see us out? <laughs> Yeah, you said you listen to every episode. I mean, can you? This has been. Go. This has been Track Changes. I'm Matt Lieber. This is great. This is. Uh, I'm Paul Ford, the other co founder of Gimlet and Rich Yadi. Yep, uh, editorial at Gimlet. <laughs> um, if you need anything, hello at postlight.com. And uh, that's it. Let's just call it there. That was great. Rich, you ready to get back to work? Let's go. All right. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.